Lord Jesus. I just have that song ringing through my head. We don't deserve to be here, Lord. We don't deserve to be allowed in your presence. We don't deserve to, to be allowed to sing worship to you, to, to read your word, to expect your presence uh, in our midst. Uh, but Lord, you grace us with it. And in fact, you tell us to come and boldly ask for more of it. Uh, and so that is exactly what we do this morning. We come boldly before the throne of grace. We ask for more of your presence to be poured out in this place this morning. More, Lord, keep coming, we pray. May we walk out a different people than walked in because we've been in the presence of our King here this morning. So as we pray often, may you come and do what only you can do, Lord Jesus, in your name and to your glory. Amen. So we have been uh, walking through a definition of a disciple. Uh, our, our district has put together this definition that I thought was really good, and so we've been uh, using it to kind of walk through the last couple weeks. Uh, discipleship is something that we are all called to. We are all called to be a disciple, and we're all called to make disciples. Uh, the, the issue that we've been raising at the beginning of each of these messages is if we have different definitions for what that means, then we're going to be heading in different directions, and that's when things can get dangerous. And so I just want to present this as kind of a, a unifying definition. When we think about discipleship, when we think about being a disciple or making disciples, that this would be the thing that comes to each of our minds, that we would be able to kind of walk in lockstep on this journey that each of us has been called to. And so we've been walking through kind of line by line uh, with this definition, and it goes like this, like this. A disciple is one who is called by Christ, invited to come. What, what did Jesus say to all of his, the 12 like earthly disciples he had when he was walking the earth? What was his invitation to all of them? Don't overthink it. Follow me. He, he went to where they were, and he called them to follow him. Walk with me. Come and do what I do. Come and be with me. And that same invitation has now been made to each of us. We have each been called by Christ. Again, a couple weeks ago, we spent some time just going, well, like, I, I don't deserve that. Like, how, why would he call me? And that's a beautiful place to be. That's a humbling place to be. But each of us has been called by name to follow Christ. We have been called by Christ, the next line goes, into loving relationship with Christ. We have been called to follow him and not as just a teacher-student or as some taskmaster and slave, but we have been called into what we just celebrated, a loving relationship, where we get to call him Father, where we get to call Jesus brother and friend. Everything that we have been called into, everything that we are commanded in Scripture is in this beautiful context of a loving relationship, of a family relationship. Now, family relationship can get dicey for some of us depending on where we've come from, but in this perfect family relationship, everything is in the context of this loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ. We looked at this last week. The, the goal is not for David to become a better version of David. 
This is not some self-actualization, be your best self kind of thing. The goal of this is that you would actually die to yourself and be transformed into something new, Amen. into Jesus. Does anybody remember, we said that becoming like Jesus means becoming like him in two very specific areas. Does anybody remember either of those two? Priorities is one. Character. Becoming like Jesus in our character, we looked at like the fruits of the Spirit, growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, not just because God said, hey, those are good things, because he says, those describe me. And if you're following me, you're supposed to grow and become more like me. And so in our character, or some places in the, in the scripture, it says the term inner person. In our deepest places, we are becoming more and more like him in our character and then in our priorities. The things that were important to him become important to us. The things he spent his time, his energy on, we spend our time and our energy on. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ, and then this week, while on mission with Christ. And we pointed out how each line ends with Christ. That was not an accident, okay? This whole thing is about Jesus. It's about his calling on our lives. It's about the way that he loves us and calls us to love others. It's about him transforming us to look more like him and it's about his mission being accomplished on the earth. So a, a couple things here again, that, that called by Christ thing and to follow me, we've been called to follow him on mission, to, to go where he goes and to do what he does. Sometimes it's helpful for me to kind of like picture the opposite to make sense of things a little bit. Uh, imagine if the story went like this. Jesus goes down to the to the uh, shore and says, Peter, come and follow me. And Peter says, awesome, yeah. And Jesus goes, cool, let's head into town. Pete, where are you going? Pete, Pete, why are you walking that way? Well, I don't really know the people in that town. I don't really know what you're even going to do in that town. And I thought I'd kind of just go do my own thing for a little while. I, I think the conversation would go something like this. Pete, that's not following me. To follow me means to walk in the direction I walk, means to, to be in the situations that I'm in. What I go through, you go through. What I do, you do. Some, we've kind of created uh, 2,000 years later this idea that I can be a disciple of Jesus and not be about the things that he was about. You will not find it in scripture. Again, this definition of discipleship isn't one that they had to be taught back in the first century because they were seeing this every day. There was rabbis and disciples everywhere. And the thought of a disciple saying, that's my rabbi. Well, I haven't seen you spend much time with him. Yeah, we do our own thing. But he's still my rabbi and I'm still his disciple. They were going, no, you're not. That's not what the word means. But we've tried to create this kind of space where me and Jesus can be okay, but I kind of do my own thing at the same time. And it does not exist biblically. You, you can't remove any of these lines from the definition and still come out with a disciple. You can't go, yeah, like Jesus has called me and I have this, I love Jesus. Well, do you look like him? Eh, not really. I'm just, again, I'm kind of just doing my own thing. 
Okay, well, it says, when I read in the story, it seems like Jesus was about these things. Are you about those things? Eh, not really. That, that's not discipleship anymore. Becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. Doing the things he did. If we're going to become like him, it just makes sense. We have to be about the things that he was about. Right? Okay, it's a pretty, if we can't get this, we got to spend some time here because we're going to move on here from this pretty quick. Being about the things that he's about. I love that it says becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. It doesn't say becoming like Christ and then going on mission because that kind of makes it seem like, well, hey, I got I to work on my own stuff first before I can really start here. How much did Peter know when he started following Jesus? Nothing. The gospels prove it. Nothing. All right, He was continually getting everything wrong. And Jesus didn't go, well, you can't follow me until you, start, until you figure it out, Peter. He said, keep following me and you will figure it out, Peter. We have been called to become like Christ while on mission with Christ. It almost has this idea of becoming like Christ through mission with Christ. We either have this idea that we got to get it all figured out before we can start the mission or that we can get it all figured out without going on mission and neither one, again, exists biblically. We become like Christ. We experience this loving relationship with him. We fulfill the calling on our lives while on mission with Christ. Amen. It is not an option to leave that piece out. I love that it says, while on mission with Christ. Sometimes we get it in our heads that it should say, for Christ. As if there's almost this, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And he says, uh, go love them. And we go, cool, I'll be back tomorrow. And we just go do this thing for him. As if one day we're going to come and we're going to go, look at everything I accomplished. And he's going to be what, impressed? No. But we've been called on mission with him. His invitation to us was follow me. Come and be with me. Not go do this for me, but come do this with me. This is discipleship. This is following Jesus. That we are walking where he walks. That we are doing what he does. That we are saying what he says. To try to separate those and go, I can be, me and Jesus can be cool, but I don't do what he does. Again, it just wouldn't have made sense in the first century and it doesn't make sense now. A disciple is one. Again, I'm just going to kind of keep going through this definition called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. You guys all have that memorized now? We'll go over it a few more times for those that didn't shake their head. So there's a very important question that begs to be asked. What is Christ's mission? If we're going to say that this is that core to being a disciple of Jesus, we better be pretty clear on what the mission is, right? It's easy to say, oh, you just... Go where he goes and do what he does. Like back then, that's what they did because he was physically right there and they literally watched his feet and just followed him. You ever, like when you were a kid, you just followed your mom's shoes through the store. Wherever she went, that's where you were going. You know what I mean? You, you didn't know what you were there for, you just followed. Do you ever have the, this is a side note, the fun experience of looking up and realizing I'm following the wrong white shoes? I don't know where I lost her, but this lady is not my mom. And like that panic that comes. Separate issue. There's probably a tie-in there. How many of us have been following the wrong white shoes? Okay, through Kroger. But we have to be pretty clear on what the mission 
of Christ is if we're going to be about it. It just makes sense. So what is the mission of Christ? Okay, to seek and save the lost? Go. Okay. We're going to look at some of these passages that you guys are mentioning here. Is it that simple? Is, is it that, when I say simple, I don't mean like easy to accomplish, but is it that simple to understand? Go, seek and save the lost. Okay. We looked at a passage, uh, I think it was last week, from Luke 4, where Jesus said, you know, I've come to set the oppressed free, and I've come to, to bring, there's some justice stuff that Jesus is, up, is about. Rhonda, did you have something, or was it? Okay, to build his kingdom. We're to be kingdom builders along with him, because he came to build his kingdom, and so it would make sense that his disciples were doing the same thing. Okay? Anything else? Love to love? Yeah? Did I see a hand over here somewhere? <laughs> that's, what, that's why you don't pause and raise your hand. Somebody's going to steal your answer. Yeah. First John. If you can't love the people right in front of you, how can you love God who you can't see? He who doesn't love others doesn't love God. Why? Because that's what God's about. And if you're not about the same thing, you're missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in Jesus, in describing the mission that he's on, he doesn't say, like, I've come to cause division as in, like, my goal is division. But he's went, man, this mission that I'm about, it's going to cause division, but it's so important, I'm still about it anyway. And he goes through, like, man, it's going to divide even, like, mothers and daughters and like even even within families he says it's going to be hard this mission is going to be costly but this is what i am about and this is what i'm calling others to be about so let me we're going to look at two passages here that there's more where where jesus says here's why i've come and he says things like teaching and preaching and um setting the, the captives free and some of these things But there's some parts of Jesus' mission, listen, that he accomplished and we don't have to take on. Like, like for instance, Mark 10, 45. Jesus, and he speaks in the third person here because he was cool and could do that. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay? There's two parts of this mission. He has come to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Praise the Lord, we don't have to give our lives as a ransom. Certain things, certain parts of his mission, he accomplished. Done and over. The book of Hebrews is very clear. We will never need another sacrifice again. One, sac- one perfect sacrifice for all time, forever. He has done that. It is completed. When he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he was talking about that piece of his mission. Done, over. We can read that and just go, man, praise God. But he also says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. That's a clue for us. If he came, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to humble himself and to serve, or we would say to love others, then that's part of the mission that we're to be about, to love and to serve others. He also says in Luke 19.10, Cheryl shared this, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. 
Jesus would say in a lot of different places, and even that, that term, the Son of Man, was him saying, I'm, I'm God on earth. Jesus, why did you come to earth? It's this simple. There are lost people here, and my Father wants them found. That was his mission. And again, he accomplished the most impossible part of it, paving the way through his death, earning for us what we couldn't earn for ourselves, the opportunity to be in relationship. But then he didn't just take his hands off the wheel and go, hope they figure it out. He said, now we have to go and tell them. We have to seek the lost out. Sometimes we read it as if it says this, the son of man has come so that whenever the lost stumble upon him, he can tell them like, Jesus came to where the lost were, seeking them out because he knew they needed saving. They needed rescue. And we are to be about that same mission. It, it, honestly, it could have your name in there. For Rich has come to seek and save the lost. Rich, why did you move to Elkins? Because there's lost people here to seek and save the lost. I could put my name in there. You could put your name in there. We're to be about the same mission as Jesus. It's, the, it's this beautiful, full-circle thing, discipleship. We have been called to follow Jesus to, into loving relationship with him, to become like him, to be on mission with him. Why? To call others into loving relationship with him, to become like him, to be on mission with him. Why? So that they can call others. And on and on this thing goes. One way I've heard this described is what we are looking to be is disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I'll be honest. Sometimes it's hard to tell, like, am I a good disciple? You know, because we can look at things and go, like, am I becoming more like Jesus, you know, in, that, in my character and priorities? And we can try to judge some of those things. And listen, we should be able to see growth there. But here, I think, is the true test of a disciple, are other people becoming more like Jesus because of me? Am I making other disciples? So the Great Commission, we often, whenever we think about mission, the Great Commission tends to come to mind. Does anybody know the reference for the Great Commission, like where you would find it in the Bible? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19 is where we tend to think of the Great Commission. And here's how it starts. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus was here, seek and save the lost, call disciples to himself. And Jesus now telling his disciples, go and make more disciples. Jesus, as the original disciple maker, said, I have made you disciples, and now I'm calling you to go make others disciples and this, this mission goes on throughout history that they would make disciples, that they would make disciples. But there's an issue here. When we start in verse 19, we miss a piece. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What's the first rule of Bible study? When you read the word therefore, what question do we ask? What's the therefore, therefore? You can never just start in a place that starts with therefore. It's like hearing the punchline of a joke. You didn't catch the rest of it. Jesus was saying, therefore, because of what I've just said, go and make disciples. So let's go back a verse. I start the Great Commission in verse 18. Jesus came near to his disciples and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What's the therefore, therefore? We should go. Why? Let me paraphrase Jesus. I'm in charge, y'all. All authority has been given to me. Heaven, earth, you name it, I'm in charge. Therefore, go and make disciples. So, is going and making disciples optional? He didn't leave us that option. He said, I have been given all authority. I died and I rose from the grave. I overcame sin. I overcame death. I have been given all authority. And so here's my marching orders. Go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Helping people to come into relationship with me in the first place. And then teaching them to obey everything. Discipling them in their faith so that they can actually grow. And I, I love this last line. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We've been called on mission with Christ. He doesn't say go as in like I'm going to stay here and you guys run out. He says, I'm already going. And I want you to go with me. Go and make disciples of all nations. And don't worry, I'm there with you. I am on mission with you, but mission is not optional. One of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he literally ascends to heaven, like was here and then we watched him fly into the sky. All right, let that boggle your mind for a minute. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, if you want to be, you might be. You could be if you try really hard. You as my disciples will receive my Holy Spirit. And when you receive my Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You can think of it like uh, concentric circles, like a bullseye. Okay, Jerusalem's in the very middle. Judea was the next biggest area, then Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He's going from here to everywhere. My disciples are going to be my witnesses. This is their job. This is, like, I think of it this way sometimes. This is why we're still here. Why, why when we, one night, maybe beside your bed and you went, oh, Jesus, would you save me from my sins? Wherever you happened to be, you were at a church camp, whatever, you weren't just tractor beamed up to heaven. Cool, you're in, come on. Why are we still here? Because the mission isn't completed. One day the mission will be completed. Guess what happens on that day? There's a trumpet and the kind of the, the clouds roll back like a scroll and Jesus kind of comes in and craziness will happen. That's when the mission will be done. Until then, the reason that we are here is because the mission is not accomplished. There are lost that the king once found, and we have been called to a mission to go and find them, to take the good news of the gospel to the world, to the ends of the world. And we understand that that is a really big thought. The ends of the world, like eight billion people, it's so huge. It's one of the reasons why we do who are your three here in this church. Let's make it more bite-sized. I can't handle eight billion, but I can pray for three. And I can look for opportunities with three. And listen, maybe you have five, maybe you have ten. Awesome. But starting with three, I am called to be his witness. 
I am called to make disciples. So Lord, who are the three people, we always ask this question, who are far from you but close to me. Three people that I interact with that I can be a witness of the king for. That I can be on intentional mission with. Is this making sense, church? Paul, teaching to the Corinthian church, I'm going to start with a therefore, but I can do it. Okay? No. He, he's talking about, like, man, because of what Jesus did, we don't have to fear death. Like, we don't have to fear what happens next. Like, he's talking about how amazing it is, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross on our behalf. And he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new things have come. This is that transformation piece we looked at last week. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been transformed. The old has been made new. You are no longer the old you. You are the new you, a new creation. And because he's done that, you have been made into his ambassador, his representative, his mouthpiece in the world. Listen, God is making his appeal through us. Amen. Is God still in the business of seeking and saving the lost? Yes. How does he do it? Through us. Listen, his church is plan A. There is no plan B. There is no option for us to sit on our hands and go, eh, he'll figure out another way. No, he won't. We are his plan. He is making his appeal to the hearts of men and women through us. If we sit on our hands, the appeal doesn't get made. Let's think about this a little bit. Let's, let's ask and answer this question. What happens if we choose not to live on mission? Let's be practical here. You're all hearing my voice. You can argue with me if you want. We can come. To... The scripture seems pretty clear. We've been given a mission. What happens if we as his people choose not to live on mission with him? What was it? We're not following him. Scary thought. Backslide. What else? The lost stay lost. They're not going to find themselves. It just doesn't work that way. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. There are, here's a, we don't have a scripture that says, like, where God just says, even if y'all don't, I'm still going to do it. We infer that from some different places, but I'm going to be honest. I don't want to stand before God and go, hey, those people that you loved and died for and you called me to go to, I literally said to hell with you. I don't care. Maybe God can figure something else out. I don't care. I don't want to have that conversation with my king one day. Yeah. Just do nothing after he's called us to this and given literally everything for us. 
So she's referencing, we, we actually looked at this parable uh, a couple months back where Jesus tells a story of this guy who comes in before his king and he goes, look, I, basically I owe you millions of dollars. Give me some time and I'll figure it out. And the king says, no, you won't, but it's okay. I forgive you. And the man's like, oh my goodness, thank you. Leaves that place, finds somebody that owns him a couple thousand dollars and he starts strangling that man. And he says, give me back what you owe me. How dare you hold out on me? The king hears about it. And listen, this, is, this should like wake us up. The king doesn't go, hey man, not cool, but okay. The king says, look, if you, if you can't take this seriously enough to take what I've given you and give it to others, then I will take it back then you can spend your entire life in a debtor's prison until you pay back every cent that you owe me. And we go, whoa, Jesus, I, that's not a very good story. You shouldn't end it like that. Like, that's kind of a bummer, Jesus. And Jesus is going, look, like, did that man really appreciate what he was given? He said the right words. He said, thank you. But it didn't penetrate his heart. It didn't change the way that he lived, the way that he walked with others, the way they treated. And so what he had was taken from him. I don't want to have that conversation with Jesus. Thank you for salvation, but I chose to keep it all to myself to hell with everybody else. And listen, it sounds harsh because we're in church and can you really say to hell, you know, with someone in church? But this is what we practically do. When we withhold it from others, we are saying to hell with you. Romans 10, 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Praise the Lord. But how then can they call on him who they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? Don't think preacher like my job position. Think someone to tell them. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm with Anthony where I believe... God is going to do what God wants to do. God is going to, to draw people to himself. But God is also saying, they won't know about me if you don't tell them. That scares me. And I think it should. How will they call on the name of the Lord if no one tells them? And who's supposed to tell them? Well, you're my ambassadors. I am making my appeal to the world through you. If you won't go, they won't hear. And if they don't hear, they won't believe. That makes me pretty uncomfortable. And then there's a personal side, like some of you brought up. Can I say I'm following him? If the one thing he came to do, seek and save the lost, everything was pointing towards that. And I say, nah, kind of busy, kind of uncomfortable would rather not. Can I really say that I'm following him? This is harsh. Like this, like I think of James who says, faith without works is dead. You know, and it's this idea of going, no, but we believe the right things, but I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Awesome. So are you about the mission that he's about? Because if not, he would say no works means your faith is dead. Why do we struggle to be on mission with Christ? It's a struggle for every single one of us, okay? If you're sitting here and you're going like, 
Maybe you're convicted. Maybe you're like, no, I do it, but like, whoo, it's hard. We're all somewhere on that spectrum. To be on mission with Christ is a struggle for all of us. Why? Okay. It feels like that thing we've been sent to do, go and do this for me kind of idea. Okay. Okay. So how does being on mission with Jesus affect people liking you? I mean, he's super popular, right? I care more about what people think. What if they mock me? What if they don't want to hang out with me? What if they, you guys know the old... Uh, DC talk song, what if they label me a Jesus freak, you know, kind of thing, taking you back for some of you. Okay. Too busy. I literally don't have time to slow down and to do that. guaranteed to be on mission with Christ will cause you sacrifice. Whether it's what people think, whether it's time, whether it's money, whatever it might be, it costs us. Take up your cross, follow me. Like, there's a cost involved with being on mission. Uh, Shanna was first. Sometimes it's tough with uh, our job. Mm-hmm. It's not where to say sure. Sure. Sometimes there's simply a and this can be kind of a broader topic, but specifically we're talking about like, I don't know how. Sometimes it's just, I don't know how period to anyone. And sometimes it's, hey, you know, in my job, there's some certain restrictions and I'm, I'm not always sure how to navigate that. Okay, Michael? We make ourselves vulnerable. Okay. Sure. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, people, people know me a little too well, you know, and it's a pretty vulnerable thing. And sometimes it's, but I'm not perfect yet. But, but they just saw me stub my toe and cuss at work the other day. Can I then tell them about Jesus? Like, uh-oh, you know. Sometimes it's, but I know these people and they know me. They know my story. They know that I'm not there yet. Am, am I really the one to be able to share with them? Okay. What else? Okay. We're all scared. There's different things that we can be scared of, but sometimes in the Bible, there's this term fear of man. Okay. And it applies. There's a lot of ways that you can read it, but it's, I, I'm more afraid of what they think than I am. And this might sound a little weird than in love with him. You know what I mean? If he has loved me and called me, if the things he says about me are true, if, I, like, if I'm walking that closely with him, how could I not? I, I almost don't have another alternative because, yeah, they might not like it, but like, I'm so enamored with him. Okay? So I'll have some more hands. Okay? David? Okay. 
Sometimes we don't share with somebody because we've already convinced ourselves how they're going to respond. Anyone have a crystal ball that actually functions and you can tell the future? Uh, me neither. But we all fall to that of like, but I know what they're going to say. But I know how they're going to respond. Let me just very quickly share, praise God, someone kept sharing with me after I literally cussed them out for doing it. No one was looking and going, boy, he is ripe for the picking. <laughs> I was literally, I, I, have, I have way more in common with Saul, who was on mission to ridicule and persecute, because that's who I was. No one looked and thought, this is probably the time, until it clicked. No one could have guessed. If they would have stopped, I honestly don't know what my story would be. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so we assume they want nothing to do with us, or it's like too late because they've been hurt too much yeah. without making haze. But again, knowing the character of Jesus, that's different than the hurt that they've experienced. Yeah, sometimes we know people and we know they're, they're not big fans of Christians for whatever reasons. And so we're kind of scared to slide in there, sometimes for ourselves, because I don't want them to not like me. But genuinely, sometimes I don't want to like bring about something hurtful. You know, I don't want to make them relive that, but we're talking about life and death. Like, it's, it's real, but we got to figure it out. Sometimes we lack training. Sometimes we lack just other believers to go with. Now, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent out 72 of them. You guys go here, you guys go there. He didn't send them one by one. He sent them as pairs. You need each other. Go do this thing together. Sometimes we try it alone, and that's terrifying. Sometimes we've outsourced it. Oh, good, there's, a, there's another Passion of the Christ movie coming out. I'll just invite people to that, and maybe they'll find <laughs> Jesus. If you guys remember when the first Passion of the Christ came out, it was literally just invite people and watch what happens. The church is no different afterwards. We can't outsource this. I applaud Young Life and the way that they reach out to students. I do not have the ability to sit back and go, oh, they've got it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That option was not left open to me or to you. Try to figure it out. <laughs> I'll only ever say that to her. It's okay. Like, I'm not, right? It says, like, I, I will receive power when the Holy Spirit yeah. comes on me, and I will be his witness. And it is not that I have not received or do not have enough of the Holy Spirit. That, that's where right. I'm afraid of being. But sometimes I don't take any time to be filled. Yes. Remember what he did for us today. So we're like, 
Sure. So our, our definition for a discipleship, remember, you can't take any of the pieces out. We've been called into loving relationship with him. If we are not investing in that relationship, if we are not reminding ourselves regularly, like I am his, and in some crazy way he is mine, like this is insane, to think that transformation or mission is going to come on their own, like it doesn't happen. How closely are we walking with him? Because again, it's go with me in my power. My Holy Spirit will come. Like, but are we connecting with him? Are we deepening that relationship with him? Because if not, to expect mission to happen is silliness. A, a couple things here. We, we've touched on some of these. There's a lot of fear around being on mission with Christ. Whether it's fear of what people think, are they going to hate me? Are they just going to hear Christian and roll their eyes? And what, maybe I'm afraid of that. What if they ask questions I don't know the answers to? Listen, and, and this is a very real feel for some people. What if I kind of catch their doubt? What if they ask a question that I don't know the answer to and it causes me to go, oh no, is that true? What do I... We're, we're almost afraid to be infected by other people's doubt sometimes. We're afraid to look dumb. Because they're going to ask this question, and I'm going to have to go, I don't know. And that, for some of us, is the most terrifying thing in the world. I, I want to, very quickly, would you two ladies, can I put you to work? Pass these out to everybody. We have looked at these before. Um, I've, I've passed them out before. This is simply a tool. Many people go, but I don't know what to say. I don't know how. This is a, a simple acrostic. It's the word gospel, but each letter stands for a different part of the gospel. You, you've seen this before if you've been coming for a while. I've passed this out before. I just want to touch on it really, really quickly because it's the simplest way that I've found to at least know, like, what is it I'm supposed to tell them about, okay? So it spells gospel. It goes like this, G, God created us to be with him. Okay, it's that simple idea of like somebody, somebody asks a question, somebody sees something in me and goes, hey, what's that about? And I simply start by going, look, I, I believe that God is real and that we were created to be with him, but there's a problem. Oh, our sins separate us from him. We were created to be with God, but we messed it up. We chose to rebel and go our own way and we've been separated from him. S, sins cannot be removed by good deeds. So listen, we were created to be with him. We sinned and we messed it up, and we have been trying ever since to fix it ourselves. We've been trying to be good enough and earn it back, and you know as well as I do, it doesn't work. Our sins cannot be wiped out no matter how good we are. P, but paying the price for our sins, Jesus died and rose again. This is the good news part. We were created to be with him. We messed it up. We can't earn our way back. And so he came to us. And he died in our place. Took the punishment we deserved. So that, E, everyone who believes in Jesus alone, who trusts in him alone, has eternal life. All we have to do is trust in what he has done. And he offers us life. L, 
Life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. To share the gospel with someone, listen, to, to know the information to share with them is not a difficult thing. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to share the gospel. Because listen, it wasn't only Bible scholars that were called to be on mission. It was all of us. And the gospel is so beautifully simple that, like Natalie shared earlier, our children can be equipped to go and share it. It is a beautifully simple message. If you've been going, man, I just don't even know what I would say, this is not a difficult thing to memorize. And I don't always say this word for word, but I can just kind of go through and check things off in my head. They need to know that they were created for a relationship with God. He loves them so much that even though they blew it, we blew it, he came to pay the price anyway. And now they have the opportunity to experience life that is truly life. That's the simple message of the gospel. Keep this, I, keep, I use this as like a bookmark so that I'm kind of referencing it every now and again and just refreshing on it. It's the simplest way I know how to know what the gospel actually is. But then we actually have to practice it. I think one of the reasons that we struggle so much with the gospel is because we're out of practice. Most of us don't even know practically how to share what God is doing in safe places like this. So we talk about things like the Super Bowl and like the weather and somebody shares a story and we just go, cool. Or somebody shares a problem and we go, hmm, you should try this, this, and this. When was the last time, even in a group like this, and listen, some of you may be great at this, but some of us are not. When was the last time at church somebody told you something and you said, praise the Lord? For some of us, we're like, oh, that feels weird. I don't know. If we can't do it here, no way are we going to do it out there. When somebody shares a struggle with you, do you say, hey, you know what? I'd love to pray for you. Or do you just tell them some things to fix it? Or you should go talk to that person. Like, if we can't even praise the Lord here, if we can't even pray for each other here, there's no way we're going to go out there and do it. And listen, the, the only ways that personally I have ever seen opportunities to share the gospel come up is when people see something different in me. They see something good happen, and I, in a non-Christian space, go, man, praise God. That's awesome. And I've had people go, but I don't believe in God. That's okay. I do. And I think it's awesome what he did. You know, when, when somebody comes with a problem and I just go, hey, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus and he says that prayer changes things. And so I would love to pray for you because that situation breaks my heart. I've first of all, never had someone say, no, don't pray for me. But then the conversations that come afterwards, we have to practice these things. It's hard to just walk up to somebody and just off the street, hey, I'm a Christian, let me share the gospel with you. Rough. But people who see me every day, who see me praising God, who see me praying for them, living life in a different way, they're curious and they're asking questions. But listen, let's practice on each other. This is a great place to practice. Everyone say out loud right now, praise the Lord. Some of you got real excited, which is cool. You don't even have to do that in real life. You know, somebody comes and they're like, you can, you can. <laughs> We're having a baby. Praise the Lord! <laughs> you know, like, but somebody shares something good with you, man, praise God. That's awesome. Let's practice with each other. Let's pray for one another. It becomes very natural, but it's something that we have to practice together. I'm just going to touch on these really quickly, and we'll get out of here. I think oftentimes, 
sharing the gospel is difficult. Being on mission is difficult because we've misunderstood the gospel. Many of us were taught when we were younger that the gospel pertains to heaven and hell one day. That's it. Like believing in Jesus is about going to heaven or going to hell. And that's it. That is a misunderstanding of the good news of Christ. I love the L in gospel. Life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. Is it about heaven and hell? You better believe it. Is it only about heaven and hell? No. But here's the problem. If we have in our head that the gospel only has to do with eternity, I either have to wait for somebody to ask me a question about eternity, or I have to find a way to shoehorn eternity in there into a conversation. And all of a sudden, people are like, how did we get talk? Do I know what's going to happen when I die? Where did that come from? Oftentimes, we don't even see how the gospel applies to our everyday life, and so we can't help other people see it. We are going through a difficult time, and many of us just kind of go, man, I'm going to try to knuckle through it. I'm going to try to like, oh, just grin and bear it instead of going, Jesus, you died on the cross so that I could come to you right now. The reason that I can pray to you is because of the gospel. It affects my every single day. The reason that I can worship and praise you, the reason that I have hope, the reason that everyone else is miserable at their job, and you know what, I don't like it either, but I don't have to give in to the misery, is because of the good news of the gospel. Because I have been loved by the king and invited into something so much greater than anything this world could offer. When I start to see that for myself, now I see somebody else going through something, and you go, you know, if I could just tell you what gets me through, it's that there's something more than just this. I, I believe that God created us to be with him, and we blew it, and here we go into the gospel. But until we can begin to see how the gospel affects everyday life, it's going to be a real struggle to share it. Because again, it's only when somebody asks us a question specifically about heaven and hell, that's kind of the only appropriate time. Instead of going, the gospel affects everything. And now I begin to see open doors all around me because every struggle people have, every good thing that happens to them becomes an opportunity for the gospel. Is this making sense, church? Okay. The last thing uh, that I'm going to touch on, and some of you touched on this a little bit, I think in a lot of ways, we have lost our joy for the gospel. It's become a doctrine that we know. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Life with, you might even say, life with Jesus begins now and lasts forever. We, we know these things, but I think too often we've forgotten what it actually means. We talk about salvation, and again, it's in a very head theological way, and people debate it back and forth, and it's, it's become a doctrine instead of this thing that happened to me, this experience that I have had, and I hope and pray all of you have too. And I don't just mean all of you in this room. When I go home, I'm looking at my neighborhood and going, I want that for them. When I go to work, this experience that I've had, I have to offer it to you. So many times we've lost our joy and it's just become a doctrine to know instead of an experience that we have lived and get to live every day. Let me, let me ask this question and you don't have to shout out an answer. When was the last time that you were emotionally moved or, or actually celebrated in some way because you remembered that you've been rescued? For some of us, it's been a while. Or you know what? No, there was that one time 
you know, and it, it, every now and again I kind of catch a glimpse. We, there's no emotional response to salvation from Christians. That should be bonkers. We should be singing our hearts out all the time. We should be driven to praise. We should have times of just sitting and laughing or crying with the Lord because it just hit me again. How ridiculous is it that you came to me, that you paid the way for me, that we've lost it. And when we lose that joy, all of a sudden there's no motivation to talk to people. We, we talk about things we enjoy naturally. You can watch two people having a conversation and the other one, you know, we get this too often, instead of listening is waiting to jump in. Watch two people when they one-up each other with stories of something awesome that happened. They can't wait to talk about it because it was so awesome or it was so funny or it was so whatever. We talk about things that we enjoy. It is natural. We almost can't stop ourselves if we're not talking about the good news of Jesus. I, I simply pose the question, have we lost our joy for it? There's a, a passage in Ephesians chapter 2, a good exercise that you could try sometime. I'm not going to take the time to do it this morning. But Paul walks through with the church. They had started to lose their joy. They had started to forget what they had been called out from and what they had been called out to. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts, he goes, whoa, 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 stop. Remember where you have come from. Remember who you were. And he says in verse 12, you were without hope and you were without God in the world. And he actually tells them, stop and remember that. Remember what it felt like to be without God and without hope, to be alone in your struggles, to be the one to have to, if you don't fix it, it doesn't get fixed or it's all on you. It is a hopeless feeling. And Paul actually told the church, stop and remember what that felt like. Because people are feeling that every single day. You were once without God and without hope. And then in the next verse he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hallelujah. Stop and spend a minute going, what was it like before Christ? It was hopeless. How did that feel? You, I hope, will feel the sense of, it's almost like a dread rising within you of like, man, I don't ever want to go back there again. Why? Because now, by the blood of Jesus, we've been brought near to Christ. And in verse 19, so then, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's household. You've been invited into something greater. How dare we hold it to ourselves? Remember who, it, who you were before Christ. Spend a couple minutes later this afternoon, before the game, I know, just sitting and remembering. And then reflect on, but now I've been brought near to God. The best way that I've heard sharing the gospel uh, described is it's one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find some bread. Th this is essentially the mission that we've been called to. We are one poor beggar trying to tell other poor beggars, hey, that guy over there gave me some bread. I was hungry, and he fed me, and he said he'd feed you too. Listen, they're going to ask me some stuff. They're going to go, oh, where did he get the bread? Don't know. Is he going to run out? I don't think so. What time's he open? I don't know, but he's there now. All I know is I was hungry, and he fed me, and he'll feed you too. 
I don't have all the answers. You're going to ask questions that I'm going to go, man, that's a great question. What does he do with the proceeds from the bread that he sells? I don't, I don't know. But I was hungry, and now I'm fed. And you look hungry too. You're not going to be able to answer the questions. You're not going to be able to be perfect at it every time. But I was lost, and now I'm found. And he says, if you're lost, you can be found too. I think of Psalm 51. David, he was coming out of a time of, of sin, and it's not a, a one-to-one to our situation today. But in the middle of Psalm 51, as he's like crying out to the Lord, this passage has just been ringing through my head as I was preparing this week. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. David was going, look, I have walked away from you. Why? Because I've lost my joy. Restore to me, God, the joy of my salvation. And what will happen? Transgressors and sinners will know your ways. They will turn back to you. I think many of us need to spend some time praying this prayer. Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. It's stale. It's just become something I know up here. It's become a doctrine. Remind me of it. Restore that joy to me. A disciple is one who is called by Christ into loving relationship with Christ for the purpose of becoming like Christ while on mission with Christ. Quilly? A guy, a guy named Dwight Smith, a, a teacher, says, old grace gets dangerous. You know, and it's this idea of relying on yesterday's grace. Relying, well, yeah, I've done the whole forgiveness thing, you know, but like, man, I'm just stuck now. Maybe there's some things I need to forgive now or ask for forgiveness now. And, okay, good. I think of Isaiah when, when God is looking at this mission in the Old Testament of like calling his people back. And here's the, the interaction he has with the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says, then I heard a voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. May we be the same kind of people who go, the Lord's like, man, they're lost and they need found. Who will go to them? May we as a church say, Lord, here are we, send us. May we be obedient to the mission that he has called us to.